It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. And then it was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. You see where this is going? I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. A little poem there, but there's a lot of truth to it. The human thoughts and feelings that we have. You take this poem here and it kind of bridges the gap from where we have been dealing with contentment, and in this case, discontentment. Um, and this goes, the bridge is taking us to in investing um, what God so amply has supplied to us and uh, investing that into the kingdom. Now, we're getting close to the end of Philippians. It doesn't look like we're going to clear it today, but we're, we're right there. And as we remember Philippians, you remember all those famous verses that we've been covering? Like every week there's been a verse that we're all familiar with that we would take as a memory verse or something that had such meaning to us. It seems like um, Philippians is just packed with those. There's a practical, encouraging one today, which I think everybody's familiar with. And my God will supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, who hasn't heard of that one, right? And uh, so we think about that and we know He's going to supply all of our needs. Well, we all have needs. We all have needs. We, we have no problem with that. Of course, we've been learning about contentment. And uh, what we've seen with Paul is that he was a really good example of what contentment was as he learned contentment and he got to that inner quiet. And he said in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's where we kind of left off last week. Uh, and Paul had been saying, it doesn't matter what kind of situation I'm in, whether I'm hungry or filled, uh, whether I'm abounding or I'm suffering need, and uh, whatever that may be, um, Paul was saying that he was certainly content. And uh, that's not natural, is it? Not natural to be content. As we read that poem, seems like that's where everybody can be at so many times when, I guess you can say the grass is greener on the other side or whatever, and when we get there, it's not so um, good as we thought it was. Um, real life situations come up. I know situations can be uh, adverse. And our reactions, though, uh, should be based upon truth, as we've seen in this book of Philippians. This epistle has been very helpful to us. Uh, God is a God of truth. God wants this truth to get into our minds. And when we see that God is a God of providence, no matter what uh, that situation is in, we know that He is uh, providing and He's doing everything that uh, He has in mind. And uh, things are going to come about in the way that He desires. So when we look at things in that perspective, I think it helps us as we go through our uh, daily lives and we see that our needs are met. They're met uh, constantly. When we turn our attention to His character, remember that? Of course, it's thinking on these things. We've seen that verse. If we have the right kind of thinking, then we can have the kind of life that is honoring and brings glory to God. So if we think on His character and then think about His promises, which again, here's a promise in verse 19 that God will supply all of our needs according to His riches. Uh, that's where we're heading to here. We know that He controls all situations and everything is for His glory and our good. Isn't that great to know? Everything is. So knowing that really helps us become more content and at peace.
And of course, this letter has talked about peace too. Now, as, as we've looked at the context of how this is all set up, and Paul has learned contentment, God met his need, even though it didn't even look like it. God met the needs of the Philippians too, so that they could supply Paul with the things that he needed. And it was a sacrificial gift. And so they got to be a part of this grand plan that God has. They got to invest in the ministry that Paul was doing. What a privilege that would have been. The great Apostle Paul, and they're actually part of that. Uh, I think that's something that we can call eternal investing. I think that's our title for the day, right? Eternal investing. Um, Now, it's kind of interesting. Paul actually uses key words in here uh, that are great illustrations. uh, When you look at uh, the Greek terms, it kind of brings out accounting, thinking, uh, banking, business terms. It's interesting that Paul would be using that as the Philippians had invested into his ministry. It involves a lot of people, ministry does. We never know how many people are involved and what goes behind the scenes. But there's a partnership that's happening here. Uh, Paul and the Philippians, of course, many others in the body of Christ. And what happens is that there's a profit for all. Everybody profits in that. And we see that Paul has the well-being of others in mind constantly. That's what he's about. So as as, um, they share together, we see the returns that God has for the whole body. And the returns are much more than what people give initially. That's what's incredible. So we um, turn our Bibles to chapter 4 of Philippians. And we'll start reading at verse uh, 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what uh, promises You have given us based upon You, Your truth. And as we look at this text today, may it be impounding into our hearts and our minds how great You are in supplying everything we need. And help us to formulate that in our thoughts more and more as we battle so much against the flesh. Help us with your truth today. Amen. Verse 14. This is uh, dealing with sharing. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. Uh, In this whole letter, Paul has impressed upon their minds how they are to be thinking of others and to be thinking less of self and the interest of others, right? We've pointed out so many times, but just a couple of verses. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. He wants them to have real knowledge and that they have the love of God and um, that they would see the things that He has done. And He longs for that they would have the affection of Christ. So He prayed for them. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And I think throughout this letter, Paul's 
brings that attitude and that spirit in there and then he proves it in his own living and in his writing to them. They were to live for others and not to live so much for themselves but for others. It's about sharing. And that's really the word share there or partnership or koinonia is a word that we're all familiar with. And that word is used here in 14. And it's also used in verse 15 when you see the word share. So it's a, it's a partnership, a, a fellowship, a sharing. Paul, again, context, where is he at? In Rome, in prison. And he's in need of some things. And yet, he doesn't see it that he's in need because God has taken care of him there. But there are things that certainly people want him to have and that really would be nice to have. But he's perfectly uh, content. So the Philippians say, okay, Epaphroditus, we've gathered all this stuff and uh, there are things there that are uh, really important and they take out of their own sacrificial giving. They load him up. He takes it all to Rome and he arrives there where Paul's at. Now, they were, the, they were poor themselves as Second Corinthians talks about. Second Corinthians 8. And so they actually sacrificed their needs to help Paul out. And I think that's, uh, that's interesting that they would do that. And they, they had done it before uh, on occasions. Uh, multiple times. Now it's interesting. If we go back and look at the text in verse 11, 12, 13, Epaphroditus then brings that letter back to read that Paul has just written to them. And he gets to this section. Now remember, they have sacrificially given, and Paul says this, Not that I speak from want. I have learned to be content whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It's almost like I really don't need any stuff. It's okay. You know, it's fine. Uh, if, if they're seeing this and they hear this 11 and 12, 13, and the letter stopped right there, can you imagine what they'd be thinking? This guy really doesn't want anything. Everything that we sent him really was useless. And you know, they probably kind of would have felt shot down. You know, they give him the stuff and he says, hey, I don't really need it. You know, thanks a lot, but no thanks. Yeah. It seemed like he didn't need the gift and they wasted their efforts. And he ends at verse 13 with that. And it doesn't seem like a thank you note. And then we get verse 14. Nevertheless. Now, he's going to straighten this all out. Despite the fact that Paul was content, he's still saying, hey, I want to make sure that you know that I am very grateful for what you have done here. I know you've sacrificially given. And and so he says, nevertheless, you have done well you have done well. Uh, a noble thing. Kathos. Kathos. It's, it means a good thing, a noble thing, uh, a beautiful thing, a lovely thing. You've done the right thing. You've really done well. This is beautiful. So we see Paul right away make sure that they know that whenever he's saying, I'm content with everything, I don't have to have those things, but hey, thank you. You did really beautiful. I appreciate it. That's, and that's what he's, he's getting here. As he said, that they shared with him in his afflictions. They fellowshiped with his afflictions. They identified the, his pressure. Uh, it's a pressing down upon, being squeezed there, pressed down pain, tribulation that he was going through. That's really where Paul was at when he says affliction. He really meant it. But yet he was, he was satisfied. He was content where he was at. So, anyway, they want to alleviate this a little bit, this pain of affliction by giving uh, of uh, some things here. Um, We move into verse 15. He says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, as he's addressing them, that at the first preaching of the Gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared, there's that word, with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. In the matter of. That, that's a, an accounting term there. Um, in the matter of. You shared with me in the matter. Do you see what he's doing? He's taking uh, an accounting term. It's uh, kind of related to logizomai. Uh, it, it's a business accounting 
kind of thought here that he goes into. And then he talks about in the account of giving and receiving. <clears throat> giving and receiving. Okay, in, in the Greek there, uh, it means expenditures and receipts. Of giving, receiving. Expenditures, receipts. You have that in the books, right? And that's kind of what he's thinking of here. A lot of times he uses lawyer terms. And uh, now he gets into business terms. And uh, he is saying that they are good stewards of what God had given to them. And now they are sharing. And uh, this is like uh, being put in the accounting books. What, what he is, you know, it's been a profit to him, but also to them too. So they had supported him when he was in Thessalonica. Thessalonica wasn't able to give to him at the time. And so he uh, actually uh, was given uh, things that, that he needed at that time. Um, he didn't charge the Thessalonians. We know in Corinthians, we get the same thought. He didn't charge them. He did not want to take anything from them. But yet, there's the Philippians doing that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2.9. It's a couple of books over, isn't it? And this is actually what uh, Paul is doing. For you recall, brethren, and this is writing to the Thessalonians, which is close to Philippi, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Whenever they were in Thessalonica, people there were very poor. Paul certainly didn't want to take anything from them. And he worked um, also for his living, working, laboring day and night, ministering day and night. But he's also, at the same time, was um, given what he needed by the Philippians. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse eight, and he tells them again in the second epistle. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And so Paul made sure that he wasn't there to uh, make money off people. That wasn't the idea of his ministry, and uh, he knew that uh, it would be a possibility that certain people there would be saying that he was taking advantage of them. Um, anyway, that's that's the heart of Paul. Verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my need. Now, this shows that he has a partnership with them as they send what is needed to him. And it was ten years ago. We learned last week that it had been ten years they weren't able to get anything to him. And we don't really have the reason why, but it says they were not able to. But God in His providence then brought those uh, needs to be met at this time. So now they were able to give to Him. So never did Paul ever forget the generosity of them. And he's saying, you know, at Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So it wasn't a one-time gift. And those can be good. But he says you did it and you've done it before. You, you know, you, kind of an ongoing thing. It was a long-standing partnership. They were consistent in their uh, generosity. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Get a little history here. And in the first five verses... Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, that's people like the Philippians. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, that's incredible, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, there's our sharing, in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So anyway, what a, what a ministry there was going on. They were so amazed by what God was doing in Paul's work that uh, they were going to give anyway to him. So it just wasn't a one-time gift, but they had given several times. And Paul says that's a good thing. And so that kind of keeps us from just hanging out there if we just finished with verse 13 and didn't move on, right? 
We show that he's very thankful. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. That they would be spiritually benefiting through this. That's really what Paul was excited about. He's getting the gift from them and he's excited that they will be blessed by their giving. Now that's the way that Paul thinks. Isn't that something? It isn't that Paul wanted that material benefit just in his account only. And God made sure that 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 happened. But he wanted the spiritual benefit in their account. So he's still using accounting terms here as he's talking about profit and account. Do you see that? It's like a, a business being run only. It's not a business. It's, it's God's business, isn't it? It's His organism that's working here. Um, he wanted it for the best of their interest. It's like he's saying this, I'm so glad you gave it, not because I want the gift, but because I want to see it go on to your spiritual account. In that sense, that you get that accounted for. Look what this is going to benefit you. Now, there's some verses in the Bible that show that principle, uh, actually a lot. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. Talking about spiritually investing. Proverbs 11.24 There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want. There's your opposite. You know, in Proverbs a lot, you get here's the principle, but then here's the back side of the principle, the, the negative side, and one doesn't. Um, chapter 19, verse 17 One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he, that's God, will repay him for his good deed. That's interesting, isn't it? God pays us for our good deed. That that doesn't sound like grace, does it? Well, we're great. It's so much gracious that it's all grace because we wouldn't have anything without Him giving it to us anyway. You know, everything that comes from Him, but anything that we use for the poor man here, is actually lending to the Lord. You're actually giving to the Lord when you when you do that. That's who we're giving that to. That's quite a quite a nice thought. We know in Matthew six twenty, store up for yourselves what treasures in heaven. And it's not just things that are going to be in the future. It's even now that uh, God blesses that. Look in Luke 6.38 Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. It'll go, it'll run over. You can't. You've heard this probably many times, but you can't outgive God. For one thing, look at all the things that He's given us just today. I mean, the air that we're breathing, just that, and then the ability to to walk and talk and to function and how we got here. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You know, and the food and you start thinking, my, He's provided everything for me, hasn't He? And it's talking about as we give here. It's not the, when when people would buy food back at that time. It, uh, you might get a lot of filler or you may not get everything that you want. Or have you ever bought cereal and it's supposed to be filled up to the box and by the time you take it home and everything, you've got that there. And really, it's, it's not all the way to the box, isn't it? It settles down. In this sense, God says, hey, what I'm going to give you is your full worth. matter of fact, it's going to go beyond that. It's going to be pressed down, shaken together. You know, I'm going to take this all the way and I'm going to make sure you get everything and it's going to run over. It's going to exceed... Much more than we can ever imagine. Second Corinthians nine six. Just some really good principles. That they're good reminders to us. It really helps as we think about investing into God's kingdom. Nine six. Now this I say: He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And there again, in, in Corinthians, he's showing them what it is about giving. And of course, if you're just using agriculturally there, if we uh, sow little seeds, we'll reap just a little. If we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. just makes sense. So God's promises are here. He is never in debt to anyone. He doesn't owe anyone anything, right? 
And He's generous. He's very generous. And His people prosper. There are spiritual dividends that we get. We know that. Paul saw these gifts to him being a missionary as an investment that actually are paying spiritual or huge dividends to this church at uh, Philippi. This is laying up treasures in heaven. And even though it was even applying to even right there at that time. So that's what Paul says. It's, it's for your profit. This is all uh, for you guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate what you sent me. And I uh, am so thankful. And I'm glad that you're getting profit out of this too, right? Now, he goes into another illustration. I think this is really good too. This is where he goes into a sacrificial type illustration. He's just banking business type thinking here. Now he goes into the Old Testament sacrifice and such. But just before he does that, he's still kind of hanging on this accounting type thought. But I have received... Look at this. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. You know what he does there? He just multiplies. He's so emphatic here. You know, it's just like he says one term. He says, "Well, I want to put this on top of that too." Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's talking about he just abounding. (laughs) There's abounding here. Uh, This received in verse 18. But I have received everything in full. I've received everything in full. A full reception. That's another business term. I received. A sum, and I give a receipt. Now, that's that's the legitimate business term, but it's it's like, yes, it's here, it's all here. They sent Paul more than he ever needed. And Paul had a full reception. He's it's just like he's making a receipt for them in a sense by saying this. And then he uses the word, and I have an abundance. That's almost saying the same thing, full reception, but he wants to amplify that a little more. uh, To abound in a surplus. To abound a surplus of things. Material things. He not only received everything in full, but he had an abundance. That means he's overflowing. It's over the top. And then he uses another term. And I am amply supplied. Another business term here. That means to be filled up completely. Plerao is to be fulfilled and then amplify on top of that. It's like he was overwhelmed. He not only was abounding in this and it was going over the top and overflowing, but he was overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. And Paul was satisfied just not what he got materially, but because of the spiritual sacrifice that they made, this was according and really should be accredited to their account. God will bless this to you, is the idea that he's really thinking here. Let's go to the Old Testament sacrificial term now. As if that's not enough, he says, okay, this is what it is here. Check this out. What you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Don't you like that? Paul saw their gift, and it's just like he sees it in in thinking of the, the Old Testament. It's just like they laid it on the altar all for the glory of God. And it's like he's seeing them as priests bringing their offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. It was far more than giving to Paul. But he sees it as they are giving to the Lord Himself. And that's pleasing. They were given to the Lord. It's pleasing to God. Paul took this right out of, uh, of course, what he was raised up on. And uh, that was his religion. We think of Exodus 29, 18. And we see some of this same terminology. You shall offer up and smoke the whole ram. Now, here, here are animals now. The whole ram. 
smoke. On the altar, it's a burnt offering to the Lord. Now here's what we're trying to get at. It is a soothing aroma. An offering by fire to the Lord. It's soothing. And it's to the Lord. It's a burnt offering, a soothing aroma. That's kind of nice. It's, it's to God. Um, go to Leviticus, which is really the next book over. Chapter 1, verse 9. Another animal sacrifice. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering. Here we go. An offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. It's soothing. And of course, Paul is saying this to the Philippians. Look in verse 13. God keeps emphasizing this to Moses. The entrails, however, and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and offer up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. Same thing, just as we had read. This is a soothing aroma to the Lord. He wants them to know that. God is well pleased with this, as it would be coming from their hearts. Then in verse 17, here we go again, Then he shall tear it by its wings, but he shall not sever it. And the priest shall offer it up on smoke on the, um, on the altar, on the wood, which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. All in one chapter, soothing aroma to the Lord. The Lord set this up and that's what He likes. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 20. You get to the prophets, uh, prophet section. Ezekiel 20, verse 41. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, and I will prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations. Now, he's saying a soothing aroma. Just as a soothing aroma in the sacrifice is concerned, I'm going to accept you as you are a sacrifice to me when I bring you as my choice people to me. And uh, so the sacrificial terms are definitely put there. We think of a soothing aroma. We think of an acceptable sacrifice uh, presenting the very finest that uh, we have to the Lord. Book of Malachi Chapter 1. And here the uh, nation of Israel had become idolatrous. and Their sacrifices really meant nothing as they worshipped the true God. Their hearts weren't there. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? They wouldn't go around saying, we despise his name. No, they didn't. They were still doing the sacrifices and doing everything at the temple and such. But he says, you despise me. And they say, well, how, what do you mean? Well, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would you have received you kindly? Would he have received you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who build, shut the gates, who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. They were not making His name great. They were not making Him famous. They were still sacrificing, but it wasn't the right kind of sacrifice. They were not giving of their finest. They were giving of, uh, 
of the least. They were giving the, uh, not a sacrificial offering. And uh, God brings forth the sin of the priests at that time and the sin of the people. And anyway, that's, uh, that's bad because God's name was not, not honored. So, we see as He gave them the opportunity to offer those animal sacrifices, it was fragrant aroma, it was acceptable to the Lord, it was well-pleasing to God. But if they despised Him and went after other things and did things for their own uh, material ways without being blessed by God, then we see what He says in Malachi. And He names what they did. So, uh, in the New Testament time period now, we realize no animal sacrifices, but New Testament sacrifices. They say, well, yeah, what are those? Well, let's, let's review these. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's first start there and look at what we are to do as we sacrifice, as we come before the Lord. And that's every day, isn't it? Constantly should be coming to Him. And he says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what is our sacrifice according to Romans? Well, one of them here is ourselves. A living and holy sacrifice. And of course, the animals, they were dead sacrifices. They were to be killed. But we live on. And we're to be set apart as a sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. That's one of them. And let's uh, find out a few more. Well, let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, or chapter 2. Verse 5. You also, as living stones, quite a picture there, isn't it? Living stones. Living sacrifices. Now, living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now he compares us to priests. Well, what do priests do? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, we see ourselves, our sacrifices. We offer up spiritual sacrifices to God, whatever that is in, in our ministry and just living out this Christian life. Um, we are priests. Peter saw that. Really good picture there, isn't it? And then we go to Hebrews and we can find out some more sacrifices that we as priests do. See, the New Testament shows believers as priests. We are the ones who now can enter the very presence of God through the high priest, Jesus Christ, and we are priests now that don't need a go-between. That's really what a priest is. We don't need the go-between. Uh, we don't need a man. We don't need men to offer up sacrifices to us because the sacrifice in Christ Jesus now qualifies us to go before the Lord and offer up sacrifices. Isn't that great to know? 13.15 says, Through Him, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So, there is another sacrifice. What is it? Praising God. When we're praising God, we are actually sacrificing ourselves in the sense that we're saying how holy and how great He is, how faithful and how true. Everything is being amplified on how awesome God is. So when we praise, we're forgetting ourselves. We are giving up ourselves to Him as we say it from our, what? The next thing, the fruit of lips. When we move our mouths, when we, when we read the Word of God, when we speak the Word of God, when we fellowship with the Word of God, when we pray, when we sing, right? The fruit of lips. That gives thanks to His name. 
So when we're doing that, we're thanking God all along because that is a mark of a true believer. They're constantly giving thanks. And in verse 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. There are other sacrifices. So as we as priests have a lot of things to do. And so right here he says, that not only praising God, giving thanks to Him, but also doing good and sharing to the rest of the body of Christ. So we give to the Lord ourselves. As He gives to us, then we do good. We, we share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is what? Pleased. There we go again. That's what He's after now. And of course, that all is to be you know, from our hearts as He guides us on. Another one, Romans chapter 15, verse 16. There are several in the New Testament dealing with being priest and offering up sacrifices to Him, but in a more fulfilled way than the Old Testament because of our great high priest. Romans 15, verse 16. To be a minister of Christ, Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, as a go-between, I'm going between God and the people here, Paul's saying, the Gospel of God. He's offering the lost people the good news of God. Ministering, He's as a priest going to those People, so that my offering of the Gentiles, so went to the Gentiles, may become what acceptable, sanctified or holy by the Holy Spirit, being set apart by Him. So as the Holy Spirit works through Him, there are more sacrifices. It's it's bringing the gospel to the lost, sharing with others, speaking praises to God from the lips, offering everything of ourselves to Him. A lot of things doing that. And we are constantly doing that all day long. And that's what priests did all day long. They kept up sacrificing. That's why they had to have so many priests there at the tabernacle and at the temple. Because it's an all-day thing. And so they kept that going perpetually. And we are now eternal people. We've entered into eternity uh, but while we're here on the earth, we are those priests. And we are to take the gospel of God to people too. A lot of these things. John Calvin said, For the altars on which sacrifices from our resources ought to be presented, on the altar, we have resources which God has given us. Who are they to? He says, For one thing, they are, from, they are for the poor and the servants of Christ. So as we have resources that are given to us, we use them, we use them for the poor, we use them for uh, the servants of Christ. And uh, that's an idea, a little bit what uh, Paul is getting forth as he writes the Philippians, as he uses that Old Testament language, sacrificial, fragrant Roman, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, verse 19. This is a key verse. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every word there is powerful. That is just packed, isn't it? And he starts off with my God. Here's the source of the supply. My God. And my God, Paul saw this, saw this gift. It was, wasn't just coming from Philippi. It was coming from heaven. Because he realized where they had gotten their source. Uh, we could paraphrase this like, you met my need and God is going to meet your need as He already met your need to meet my need. You met one need that I have, but God is going to meet all of your needs. What a promise He's saying to these people. You gave out of your poverty. And that's, you know, they had little. He says, even that, you gave out of your poverty. But God is going to supply your needs, not out of His poverty, but what? From His riches. According to His riches. It's even better, right? He's not just going to flip in a hundred dollars or so. I mean, we're talking about the according to his riches and glory. Now they had truly, I think you could say, had been sowing 
in the Lord's field, hadn't they? And there's an abundant harvest that they've gotten and put it His way. And uh, so a lot of those necessities are met there. God has promised here to supply all our needs. But you notice that He doesn't say greeds. He doesn't say, (laughs) and my God will supply all my greeds according to all our needs. Sometimes we don't know what our needs are. We may think we have a need and it may not. Or we may not even know we have a need somewhere and maybe God supplies that need, doesn't He? When we don't know we have a need. works both ways. You know, He's a personal, heavenly Father. And if He takes care of the sparrows, right? And if He takes care of the lily of the field, makes them as beautiful as they are, He certainly is going to take His children and He's going to supply with all that they need. He's the very source that we go to. He is our Heavenly Father. Isn't it great to know? Okay. We say, well, I'm at a point in my life that I don't know what my direction is. I don't know where the Lord's leading me here. But you know what? My God knows. Right? My God will supply, as Paul says. When you don't know where the money is coming from to pay the bills that are coming up, you can say, I don't know, but my God knows. He does take care. He is my support, isn't He? You don't know how you're going to do when you go through a sickness or through some kind of ailment or some kind of trial that hits your home. All the rest of things. Whatever that need is, but isn't it just wonderful to be able to turn to our Father Our God, who is the source of everything, He's the source and all comes from heaven. And we think of uh, the psalm writer. My God, right? I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. That's where it comes from. In Psalm 121 and Psalm 122, um, as a servant looks to the hand of his master, so I look to You, O God. As a maid looks to the hand of her mistress, I will look to God for my need. Then we can say, well, who is this God? Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. This is our God. One... Actually, verse 19 is where I want to go. Okay, he's, As he's praying for them, he's praying for spiritual wisdom. Now, this is a, just that tremendous, amazing prayer. Matter of fact, I think we were there last week. But this is our God. And he's praying, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Now we've ran into power, working, strength, might, and then we go into verse 20. How did He show His might and strength and power? Which He brought about in Christ, let's keep going further, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. This is the Christ who not only was crucified, buried, and raised, but He was seated at the right hand of God and that is power. And so with all that, knowing we know this Jesus who is the risen One and the ascended One, and not only that He ascended, but He sits at the right hand of God. And you can say, well, if He can do that, (laughs) I don't know of anybody else that could anywhere come close to that, right? Well, if He can do that and be not just risen and exalted and ascended, but be at the very right hand of God... We can see Him as our Advocate. 
We can see Him as our representative. We can see Him as our friend who really desires the best for us. And because of that, He's going to meet everything we need because He hears our provisions and He knows exactly what we need even when we don't know. And He is the one who dispenses everything out to meet those needs. comes right from the throne of God. Boy, is that incredible. Robert Murray Shane said this. If you don't catch anything else today, listen to this one. This is, this is good. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear one million enemies. Yet distant makes no difference. He is praying for me and He is the God of heaven. <laughs> Wasn't that said well? If I could hear Him praying, then it didn't. You could say that, couldn't you? If I heard His voice praying for me, and I know that He does that, if I could hear that, then I don't care who came up against me. I would not have a bit of fear. Well, guess what? He's doing it right now, isn't He? He's praying for us as we have a worship to Him. He's praying for us. How sure is that supply? We've seen the one who meets the supply here. He is our source, right? The source of the supply. What's the surety of the supply? It is God's return to us. You have an investment? There's a return on the investment. It isn't that. It just goes there and it just stays. Uh, You remember the Good Samaritan? That's a good illustration there. He was leaving the village inn on the morning after that great rescue of that traveler wounded traveler. What did he say to the host there? Take care of him. Whatever you spend, whenever I come back, I'll repay you. And even more. Now, if you, if you lend your boat for a whole afternoon to the Christ of God, that He might take that boat and use it as a floating pulpit. I heard that this morning. And Alistair Begg said a floating pulpit. Take that floating pulpit there for Jesus to proclaim the Gospel. By the end of the day, your boat is going to be filled with fish. You remember that story? If you lend your upper room to the Lord Jesus Christ at His disposal for a Passover, not too long after that, a few weeks, that whole room is going to be filled with Pentecostal power of the Holy Ghost. In fact, the whole house was going to be shaken. And He will not only satisfy hunger, if you place in His hands barley loaves and fish, but He'll multiply it. And matter of fact, for thousands and thousands and thousands, and then add 12 basketfuls on top of it all. You remember that one? I think that's illustrating a lot of things there, but it it is definitely showing that God gives us much more than we can ever ask. Wow. So the surety of the supply is there. The sufficiency of the supply is whenever He says, all your need. He says, my God shall supply, we've already done that, all your need. Hudson Taylor often said this, the missionary to China, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. God is going to always abundantly furnish you with everything necessary for you. What a promise. That's what this verse is speaking about here. My God shall supply All your need. Sufficiency. And what's the standard of the supply? According to His riches in glory. It's not according to our standards, meager as they are. It's according to His standards. I know it includes the vast wealth that there is in the whole universe. We know we're going to inherit everything that Christ has. That he, we're brothers of Him and such. I know it's great to think about that and also to know that 
it's everything dealing with the gospel that we've entered into, right? And everything that we can even imagine is just a, a mere drop in the bucket of all the riches of God in glory in Jesus Christ. And I think right here he's, he's talking about financial and material needs. And my God will supply all your financial and material needs. It's, it's, we know it's spiritual things, but also it's that. Has He let us down yet? Sometimes we think, well, He, he could though. Paul, we, we know that as we've read in other places, that he knew the riches of God's goodness. He said, well, what kind of riches? Riches and glory. The riches of God's goodness. How about in Romans, where actually he says he knows the riches of the wisdom of God. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So riches of His goodness, riches of His wisdom, riches of His grace. My, this, this is really mounting up, isn't it? Uh, go to Ephesians 3.16. Another prayer that He says. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. The riches of God's glory. Boy, the standard that God has. The riches of God's glory. I can't... Can I go any further than that? According to his riches, D.L. Moody talks about God's check. Moody said, okay, first of all, taking this one verse, my God, my God is the name of the firm or the company on the check. My God. Okay? And then, shall supply. My God shall supply. You know what that is? That's the promise to pay. We're just summing this all up. Here's, here's the firm that's coming from. God the company, right? Very God Himself. Shall supply. He's going to promise to pay. All your need. And what's that? That's what you're going to be paid. His riches. Right? Is the next one. Is that what that says? According to His riches. That's the deposit in the account from where that check is drawn. It's endless, isn't it? Eternal riches. In glory. That's the address of the bank. And by Christ Jesus, that is the signature that's on the check. This check needs one other thing. You say, what is that? Well, when you have a check, what do you do? You turn it on the other side and sign your name. That's that's actually by faith, just trusting that he's just meeting the needs here. Whatever your need is, whatever that need that God knows you need will abundantly, over the top, supply it. I think we all have attested to what he's done in the past, and because he's done that, we know he can do it in the future. And He's already told us that we're not to be worrying about the future. So, uh, enough of that, right? Summing this all up, getting ready to end this contentment then, which we talked about the last couple of weeks or so, comes from adequate resources. We have more than adequate resources. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? We talked about the providence of God a couple of weeks ago. Our resources are the providence of God, the power of God, the promises of God. Those resources are more than adequate. Paul knew the resources. And he knew they were sufficient for every demand that life brings along. And they can make us sufficient too. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for blessing us abundantly, that we would recognize that, that we'd be thankful always, 
in all things be thanking You. And wherever You have brought us, where our lives are at right now, You are taking care of us right there. And it's not by accident that uh, we are placed in that. That's because You are there working Your will in us. And we want Your Spirit to control us. And it's up to us to work that out. To work everything that You worked in us. And so, thank You for strengthening us. We have everything that we need. We have more than enough how we need to be reminded of that constantly. And that's what is so good about this Philippian letter that reminds us once again there's nothing new here that any of us really learned, but in another sense, it should enlighten us a little bit more about how great You are. To emphasize that. And that we'd be a part of Your kingdom, that we would be a church that uh, is giving to the rest of the kingdom. That we would be sacrificially giving to to support other ministries, to support the the ministry that we have here. And that it would be all for Your glory. That it would be something that would be pleasing to You. And the aroma would be something that you You accept. We thank You, Lord, for being such a great holy God. And as we extend out through this day, may our worship be constantly on You, on the thoughts of You. In Jesus' name, Amen.